Why don't you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. So this morning we are concluding our summer series called I Am. So uh, we started this back in the beginning of May and Scott, before the, uh, they left on their sabbatical, um, he kicked this series off and then we have, there's seven I am, I am statements that Jesus made in the book of John. We've been walking through those and today is the seventh. It's the last one. So the last few weeks we have had some different guest speakers, which has been great. So it's been a few weeks since we went through one of these. Uh, Jeremy preached on the last one just about a month ago And so if you missed that, make sure you go back and look at that. But um, yeah, we've been walking through these statements and we started this series talking about when God sent Moses. When you look at the beginning of Exodus and when God sent Moses to um, Egypt for his people to be set free and released, he says, Moses was, had several excuses, all right? Um, most of us know how that works, and we've had those as well. But he had several excuses about he doesn't talk well, and he, he, God had an answer for everything. But one of the things he said to him is he, Moses said, well, who, who do I tell him sent me? So who should I say sent me to tell them? Because I'm going to tell the people of Israel that they're set free. I'm going to tell um, Egypt that they're supposed to set the people free. Who, who, um, basically what he was saying was like, on whose authority was this? Who is the one that's, who has the authority to do such a thing? And Exodus 3.14, this is God's reply. He said, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Just that statement, I am, that was it. We don't talk like that, but that's the thing is like, that's how God has identified himself because like, how do we understand the God of the universe has authority to say, yeah, you can be set free. You can do this. He is all powerful. He says, tell him the I am sent me, sent you. Okay? And when, so when God says I am, we started there and then all through the Old Testament over the, over the series, we've talked about different times you see him say all through the Old Testament, I am the, the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the Lord who, God who will take you by the right hand and, and deliver you. There's all these different things, times he said, when God says I am, it is an identity statement. He is saying I am the God of this universe. I am the creator. That's why he said I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm that same one referencing back here to Exodus 3. So when Jesus would say that, it means something. Because here's the thing. Look at Isaiah 42.8. This is Old Testament again, prophecy from the Lord. He says this, I am the Lord. That is my name, which Lord there would be um, when we see uh, the letters for Yahweh. But so the name of God says, I am the Lord. That is my name. But catch this. He says, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carve idols. So when Jesus, and again, he says, I am, I am the Lord. He's making this statement that he says, and I won't attribute this to anyone else. I want you to catch that. When he says, I won't give the praise that is due to the I am, I won't give that to anyone else, the glory, and nor will my praise go to carve ice. So in other words, no other person or no other thing is gonna have this name and deserve those, that praise and that glory. So when Jesus says, I am, it's a big deal. No, make no mistake about it. When Jesus made these I am statements, he was declaring to be God. He was going to be God incarnate, God with us, God made flesh. And if he wasn't, he couldn't truly be called the I am because Isaiah 42, he said, I won't, I won't attribute that stuff to anyone else. Okay, and so it's, it's, it's such a powerful statement for Jesus to make. And the thing is, if that is true, if Jesus is the son of God, if he is God incarnate, God with us, God made flesh, that's pretty significant for us. 
That means some things, some things that he said, some things that he did, that should hold a lot more weight. And that's why it's so important. That's why we, why would we take a whole summer and talk about these seven statements? Just because it's a cool series and we got a logo. You know, no, because when Jesus says, I am, he's declaring, it's an identity statement. He says, I am the Lord. And then the, state, the thing beyond that is, it's like, this is the significance. If Jesus is God made flesh, if he is God incarnate, then these statements are pretty significant. That means some things for us. And so we've gone through those different things that he said. Like I said, we've gone through the first six and we're gonna hit the last one today. Because when Jesus made an I am statement, it was an incredibly important proclamation of who he is and what it means for us. So John 15, John chapter 15. I want, let's understand the context we're in a little bit. John 13 is what we call the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper, okay? It was when he ate uh, at the Pen meal of Pentecost, celebrating that with the disciples when he established communion. He washed their feet. That famous story, that's 13. 14, 15, and 16 are teachings that follow that, meaning that night he's with his disciples. They, they have the Last Supper, and then those next two chapters are that, uh, and then 17, he prays. It's called, uh, called the high priestly prayer, prays over everything that's gonna happen and, and does that. And then in 18, they head out to the garden of Gethsemane, which is where they're praying there. And then he comes and gets arrested and that starts the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. So why I say that's important is understand these are some of the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples before being put to death on the cross. In a lot of ways, this was like the final teaching, say, hey, I'm about to be gone. And he says, you need to know these things. You need to remember these things. And so in, verse, in chapter 14 is where our last I am statement was when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jeremy preached on that a few weeks ago. Make sure you listen to that if you haven't. But he makes that statement. And then later in 14 is when he promises the Holy Spirit. He's, that's Because he's preparing them. He's saying, I'm about to go. He said, but, but when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit, the counselor, and he will remind you of the things that I have said, and he will teach you these things, meaning he'll help you understand these things. And, he's, and he was saying, it's good that I go so that he can come. This is that, that part. And then in 15, he starts teaching, um, using an illustration of a grapevine, which is our I am statement for today. So let's look at this. John 15, in verse, verses one through six. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Would you join me as a prayer over this word today? God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this I am statement. We thank you for your brilliant teaching and this illustration of the grapevine. God, help us to speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
By the way, I'm preaching out of the ESV this, this morning, so if you're using your phone and you're one of those that likes to switch, you can. If you don't have the ESV, I'm sorry, that's just, it'll be on the screen, but that's uh, what I felt like I should preach out this morning. So, anyway, I am the vine. You know, grapes were, a, and still are, a central part of, of Israel's um, agriculture and economy. The grapevine is a part of Israel's national symbol and everything. So when he was talking to them, it really made sense for them. And actually, um, in my study this week, I found out grapes are one of the most common fruit grown in the entire world. How many of you guys have grapevines in your yard at all? A couple of you, okay. How many of you guys own a vineyard? Yeah, so not quite as common (laughs) as it was in here. And this would have really, a lot of these things would have really made sense to them. But even if you aren't, uh, don't own a vineyard, aren't aren't a a grape farmer, um, there is some incredible significance in this illustration. He picked that very, very specifically um, because of some things and some attributes that happen um, with the grapevine and the way it grows. And so, but even if you don't understand that, we're gonna help you understand it today. But the truth is this, when we see an illustration of Jesus, remember, this is about spiritual implications, not about being a better gardener, right? And, and these things can really help us understand it. It was a way to take a huge concept and bring it down. And so this truth should affect our daily lives, our future, even our eternity. And as his disciples, because remember, he's talking to the 12. We're not even talking about the others that sometimes followed him and were in and out. We're talking about the 12 closest. He was talking to them, those that had followed him for three years. And he had taught over and over again. He had given further teaching to, and it's to them that he says, I am the vine. And he uses this illustration. So as his disciples, what does Jesus need us to understand about him? First thing is this, Jesus is the vine, you are the branch. It's in your notes. If you, haven't got, if you uh, did not get a set of notes, make sure you just raise your hand. The ushers can probably find you. Sorry, they weren't in the seat backs and they kind of handed them out. There's a usher extraordinaire is going back there. That's what I call him. He's the best. Um, he said back there, if you guys don't have notes, make sure you grab those. But first thing is this. Jesus is the vine, you are the branch. Verse five, look at this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Seems like, yeah, got it. Figured it out. Illustration. But this is so important for us to understand. Jesus was very clear and said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Look in Romans 11, 13. This is actually Paul talking about, um, he's using an olive branch, but it's the same concept, um, olive plant. And this is him talking to the Gentiles. He says, I'm, uh, he was the apostle of the Gentiles, and I'll explain this, and it'll, don't get too confused here. I just want to help you understand the context. He's talking to the Gentiles and talking about reaching them and the way that they are grafted in, because again, the people of Israel would have been the original and been part of the family of God, and then being grafted in um, and into the, the family. But look what he says about this and helping you understand why it's important. I'm talking to you, Gentiles, in as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles and I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. So he said, I'm the apostle of the Gentiles. I'm talking to the Gentiles now. But he's saying, I, he has a heart for his people too. And he said, I hope that as I speak these things to the Gentiles, that Jewish people will also then accept Christ and be saved. Okay, for if their rejection, the people of Israel, brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? He's saying, yes, they rejected Jesus, but that brought salvation to the world. And what more will it do if they accept him? Okay, if the part of 
If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And then he says, if the root is holy, so are the branches. He says, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in, saying people of Israel rejected so that I could come in. Granted, but they were broken off because of their unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you, um, you either. Here's the main point. I, I mean, again, I don't want to be too confused here, but I want you to understand the context. He was coming in and saying, don't get prideful, feeling like, oh, they, were, they were rejected God so that I could be brought in, so that means that I'm the, the, the better one. He said, don't get prideful. Whenever we think about being grafted in, or whatever, which all of us would be, and when we think about that, we need to remember something. He said, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. He said, be very careful not to get prideful in this. Instead, we should tremble. We should have some fear to remember that I don't cause God to do anything. I am not the source. He says, the root is. And we understand that in a plant. He says, he, it, it's so important. He said, he was combating pride with Jews and Gentiles, but it's the same truth that Jesus was teaching his disciples in John 15. He's, don't forget who the vine or the root is and who, don't forget who's just the branch. Look at Isaiah uh, uh, 64, 8. He says, yet you, Lord, are our father. He says, we are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. Same concept, different illustration. He says, let's remember who the potter is and who's just the lump of clay. It's the same concept. We cannot forget who the source is and we really cannot get it backwards. And that's what Paul was saying in Romans. He's saying we really can't afford to flip that around. And Jesus wanted to make sure his disciples understood this for the future. He says, do not get this mixed up. Because remember, he is preparing them to be without him on earth, okay, on earth. And what that relationship is gonna change and look a little different. And he said, do not forget, I am the vine and you are the branch. Why is that so important? Well, when I read the word of God, do I see it as the source of all truth? And do I have this speak to me and change my life and I follow that? Or do I see it as a way to justify my own truth in the way that I think things should be? Or I don't know that God would. And so I read that into here. Or when I make decisions, do I seek God's plan for my life? Do I seek that, man, what does God have? And I try to stay in step with that and follow him. Or do I follow my own pursuits and I try to fit God into there when there's space and have time? Okay, when I receive my paycheck, do I recognize it as God's provision for me and God's blessing to me and him saying, here, this is what I have given you. How are you going to steward that? And then I ask him what I should do with that. Or do I see it as I worked hard for this and I, this is mine, I deserve this. And yeah, I might, you know, I might do the good thing, give it some to God. Do you see the difference? It's one of those things like it seems like, oh yeah, he's the vine with the branch, got it, move on. We can kind of just read over it, but it has huge implications for our life. 
If we don't get this, we get it backwards. And let's be honest, there's a lot of people getting it backwards. A lot of people getting it backwards right now. And he wanted to make sure you're gonna need to know this. It's a simple concept, but it has incredible significance. Jesus is the vine, you are the branch. Jesus is the vine, I am just a branch. I am just a branch. It's the central truth of this illustration, and it makes the rest so much more significant. Second thing is this. You are either not bearing fruit or you're being pruned. You're either not bearing fruit or you're being pruned. I want you to look at this. This hit me this week. Verse two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So, Here's, here's what got me as I was just kind of breaking down this passage this week. There are two kinds of branches he mentions, that's it. He, he, he mentions the branch that does not bear fruit and the branch that does bear fruit. That's it. And then there are two things that God does to those branches respectively. He either removes that branch completely or he prunes that branch. So that's what you get. There are two options. You are either not bearing fruit or you're being pruned. Those are the two options. And, and why, why did that really hit me? Well, pruning is the process of cutting away dead parts. How many of you guys garden? Gardeners, some of you would do one of these. It's like, you try, I know, we try, we stink, all right? We get it, okay, but you've done this before. This may help you, actually, okay, so... It's the, the process of cutting away the dead parts, the less productive parts, in order for the branch to grow more fruitful. It's one of those things, for non-gardeners, if you watch someone do that, it'd be like, what are you doing? You actually have a healthy plant. Like, why are you cutting it up? I can't even get a healthy plant. You know what I mean? Like, and they don't quite understand that. But a, a, a gardener knows. He knows it's for the best. It's the big picture thing of it. If I can cut these things off, even if this looks nice, it's not productive, and I can cut that off, and then there's more health that will go to the productive things, and they get that, there's that big, big picture thing. But understand why this hit me so hard. He only prunes the fruitful branches. The unfruitful ones, they're left alone for a time to see if they will produce fruit, and then he removes them and he throws them away. So if I'm, if I'm coasting, if I'm not growing, if I'm not being stretched, if I don't feel like God is challenging me in some way or challenging some part of me or encouraging me to remove some things from my life, it may seem like things are going okay, but maybe I'm not producing fruit. And maybe if I'm going through some hard stuff right now and God seems to be stretching me and I'm challenged right now and I'm having to make some hard decisions and, and things are changing in me and I'm having to remove some things from my life that I don't really want to, but I'm being challenged in all those ways, it may not be fun, but maybe I'm being pruned. And I think that's exactly, it's counter, it's counter to our feelings about it. I feel like sometimes we think like, man, things are going really well. well man, God's good. And maybe it's there's certain, I mean, and again, we're talking big picture here. I'm not talking about you have one day that you didn't feel like God tore you apart. You know, I'm not saying that. But in, if I just feel like there are long seasons where it's like, yeah, things are good, it's fine, just, it's all right. That maybe I'm not producing fruit and so God's just like, well, we'll see, but it's not looking real productive. And there's only one thing God does with that kind of branch. And maybe if I'm going through that hard time, and I feel like, man, God's really challenging me and it's not a lot of fun, but maybe that means I'm producing fruit and God's saying, I can use that. 
I can take that and I think if I do this and this, then he could do that or she could do that. This is probably why James said in James 1, 2 through 4 said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that it may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Or why Paul wrote in Romans 5, 3 through 5, not only that, but, my, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts from the Holy Spirit who has given it to us. It, it, it puts a different perspective on that. We get this idea, like I'll be joyous in trials of many kinds, but it, which is hard to do. But I think there was a big picture thing. He's trying to say like, if God's doing that in you, Man, that's because God sees there's more he can get out of you. There's more that you can do. He says, like, you think you're impacting now? Just wait till I'm done with you. And there's joy in that because it's like the alternative, not as, not as much fun in the long term. It may seem better because it's like, well, yeah, guys, I'm, really I'm good, I'm good, I'm coasting, just doing my thing, I'm showing up, and I'm just kind of rolling. But maybe that means that God's not seeing that fruit. And again, he only prunes the ones that are fruitful. There's only two kinds. There's the unfruitful and there's the ones that are being pruned. And that's why maybe I could take more joy in being pruned. Realize that your pruning is training. It's training. You know, a new great plant is pruned for three to five years to what they call train them before they are allowed to produce a crop, before they would take those grapes and actually put them to market. And that's, that's what we go through. That's what God takes us through. And I think sometimes we get that in the beginning, you know? Like it makes sense. Like you're not gonna get saved and like start leading multitudes because like there's a training we gotta go through, things we gotta understand. But I think sometimes for those of us that are seasoned saints, okay? And I'm not talking about old people, okay? All right, if you're a crotchety old person, that's on you, okay? Like, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about here, that you're always being pruned. But, but I do think there's sometimes, like, I just realized that this past summer, it's just 20 years that I've been serving the Lord since I first gave my life to Christ, which makes me feel old. But um, I'm not, okay, stop it. But, but I think the training in the beginning kind of makes sense, but then sometimes later on with our walk with Christ, at times we resist the pruning because... We, we can forget that it's still, God's still training us. I mean, he was talking to his disciples, the 12. At this point, they were the followers of Christ, really. I mean, they were the ones that had given everything. There was nobody more spiritual or, you know, more in, in uh, Christian leadership, you know, hadn't written a book yet, but they probably would, you know, or whatever, but like, and most of them did write some stuff in here, but... But those are the ones he was talking to. And, and, and I, don't, I don't say that to pick on people who've been serving Christ a long time. I just say for new believers and um, seasoned saints alike, if God is pruning you, it's because he sees poten the potential for you to make an even greater impact in the kingdom of God. If you're going through something hard and God is stretching you or God, you feel like God is speaking to you to take something out of your life, or do, man, God is looking at you and saying, man, there's so much potential there. Oh man, there's so much impact I can make through you. And so let's lean into that and not... Run away from that. But if you're here today and you feel like you're not being pruned, like maybe you've just been coasting, you feel like you've almost been, like the way you describe it, like I've just been sitting on the sidelines, it's time to get a little healthy fear of the Lord 
and get reconnected with the root. That's what he's saying in Romans. He's like, it's time to tremble a little bit because I've gotten things backwards and I remember what the root does for me and I need to get reconnected with that. And we can be grafted in. Third thing is this, you can't bear fruit apart from Jesus. Third thing is this, you can't bear fruit apart from Jesus. Look at verses four through six here. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire and burned. How do we bear fruit? There's one way, by abiding in the vine. A branch cannot bear fruit unless it is attached to the vine. Even us non-gardeners like, got that one, right? And cut the branches off and they don't do anything. But here's the thing, there is no other way to produce, to bear fruit for the kingdom of God apart from Jesus and being in relationship with him and following him. And it says abide or remain in Christ. It is a command, but it's an ongoing emphasis when you use the word abide, It says, abide, remain in Christ. Here's the thing. We are not just called to believe in Jesus or just to accept him, but to follow him. I want you to get that. We're not just just supposed to believe that Jesus is who was and accept that, but we're we're called to follow him. He said, take up your cross daily and follow me. As we said, abide in me. He's talking to the 12 that had been following him and his command, one of his last commands to them was abide in me. Don't stop following me even after I leave this earth. Stay in relationship with me even after you leave this earth. You know, it's curious about a grapevine branch. It can actually survive and produce some foliage for a while after it has been severed. But it cannot produce fruit unless it is connected to the rootstock. So being alive is not proof of producing fruit. You have to be connected in. It can be grafted back in. But it, 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 it's so interesting. It will stay alive for a time. But then it will not produce fruit unless the root is connected. Galatians 5, through 23 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. If we want the product of our life to be those things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And all, I don't know if any of us look at that list and be like, nah, no thanks. Your spouse is like, mm, you know, doing one of those right now. Like, you need that one and that one, you know. We would all want that. That's what, and that's what was the fruit of the Spirit is saying what your life produces, okay? What, as you live your life, these things come out of that. And all of us would want that. If we do, then we have to abide in Christ, Jesus was very clear. He said, that's the only way you can do it. And not only is he the source of fruit, he's the root. He is also the means by which we are pruned. Like look at, look at verse three. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And the, word, uh, the Greek word that's used for clean or cleansed in some, uh, some translation here in verse three 
could, is the word for purged or pruned. It's, the same, it's actually the exact same word that appears in verse two, but it's just in a past tense, okay? It's the exact same word. So you could read it as this, and the very direct translation says, already you are pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. Because again, he's talking to his disciples, and over the last three years, he has taught them over and over, and even pulled them aside and said, and this is what this means. I need you to understand this, and he, and he and continued. But then to those same people, right after that, he says, abide in me, and I knew. He says, now remain in me, so that you can be pruned, even though you've already been pruned. And he is saying that through his word, they have already been pruned. And that's the, that's the place, as we, as we take this in, as we let this, again, read us instead of just reading things into it and we let this speak to us, that's how we are. But then he says, remain in that. Continue to hear his word. Continue to live out these commands. Continue to let the Holy Spirit teach you. These are the last teachings before he was crucified. He said, do not forget this. Even when he is gone from this earth, he says the relationship needs to continue. Because the truth is, that's what it's all about. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And he says, abide in me and I in you. That's a two-way street. There's this, there's this relationship. And that's why, we say, that's why we can say that the Christianity is about relationship. It's not about religion. That's why we make those statements. This idea, yes, there's do's and don'ts and there's all those things, but it's really about training to become more like Christ and have a greater relationship with him. It's all about the relationship. Because apart from Christ, we can do nothing his words, not mine. That's what he said. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't know if anyone wants to like, say like, my life's defined by, I can do nothing. Like, but he says, that's, that's what it's like to not have that relationship with him. All the things we think that we can accomplish and we think that are really important and we think that really matter, he's like, that's nothing. He says, abide in me and I in you and you will produce much fruit. And remember, there are fruitful branches and there are dead branches, that's it. And the dead branches are thrown away. And I think that that can seem harsh. That can seem harsh, because again, we read what God says and we're like, eh, I don't know about that. You know, sometimes like that just seems harsh, but I want you to understand the heart here. On a grapevine, disease and lack of productivity can spread from dead branches to living ones if it's not removed. And if you know how to kill a plant, know that one too, right? We kill plants, that's what we do, all right? It's like if you don't take those out, again, it, it will end up sucking the life out of everything else. Or as Paul put it in Galatians 5, 9, he said, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Or as 1 Corinthians 15, 33, he said it this way, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good character. The thing is, God is a good and caring gardener. And as, as those that are putting their faith in him have relationship and are producing fruit and he's pruning them and they're leaning into that and allowing that and growing, he's not gonna let that dead branch come and pull that down. He's gonna remove that. It's a caring, it's a loving thing because he knows how this works but the difference between a grapevine and its branches and Jesus and us is that it's our choice. With a grapevine and those branches, something's dead, they just cut off. I mean, it just, something went wrong and that happens. But with Jesus and us, in this, and, and now it's, it's, it's our choice. Will I abide in the vine? 
Will we remain connected to the rootstock? Because remember, I don't source the root, but the root sources me. You know, there's a tree that's native to the Kalahari Desert, okay, in Africa. That's where that is, if you didn't know where Kalahari Desert is, okay. That has the deepest documented roots. Its roots can grow more than 70 meters or 230 feet deep. They discovered that when drilling wells. And they, as they drill, they continued to hit the roots of this tree and pulled those up. So documented, like they've seen that, not just guessing, 230 feet. And interestingly, the trees themselves only can grow to about 10 meters or about 33 feet at their tallest. And usually they're much shorter than that. You guys have probably recognized this tree from any, if you nature show, people are like, yeah, I got that. There's probably a leopard in there. You know, whatever, like you got, you know nature people. We got to stick together. All right. But usually they're much more than that. But do you know what the common name of this tree is? The shepherd's tree. Because shepherds would go under there for shade in the desert. I mean, but it's called the shepherd's tree. What did Jesus say he was? I am the good shepherd. Right. And I read one account, this lady was just talking about if she'd lived in Namibia for a while, I think. And in at least one local region, the nickname of this tree, the tree of life. And it's nicknamed that because of all the just different things for people and animals you can get from this, from different, whether, I mean, not just the shade, but just there's all these different like practical uses of this tree. But this tree exists in one of the harshest environments for plant life on earth. It's in a desert. You see a lot of trees around that one? Nope. Grass trying to grow. I mean, deserts are obviously super harsh areas for wildlife to grow. And it exists in there, though. The only way it can is because of its incredible root system. Because it can find water where other trees and plants could not. And I feel like we are constantly talking about the conditions of the environment around us. And even right now, for whatever reason, we're just more aware of it. We like to complain, let's be honest, you know. But you're, we're not wrong either. I mean, just when we think about the environment around us, all the things changing in our country right now and even around the world and all the things that you're doing, like there's no common sense and what's happening, you know, and there's all these things where that's disgusting and they're, they're trying to do this, teach this to kids. And do, I mean, there's just this environment that's like, it's harsh. It's a hard place. To, to, to do the will of God and to, to serve him, okay? But that's why it's so important for us to stay connected to the root. Jesus said, abide in the vine. And on a great vine, the, the vine is what is connected to the root. And the branches grow from there and then you can graft other branches into that vine and as long as they're connected to the root, they will continue to bear fruit and be productive Jesus has to be our roots. He is the source. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the gate for the sheep. He is the good shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the true vine. He is the source of all truth and all fruitfulness and all life. And he says, abide in him. Abide in me and I in you. And that's why we need to remain in him. He is the root and the root sources the the branches and not the other way around. 
And if we are gonna, if we are gonna continue to serve Christ and be productive in this world and, and we're gonna see the environment all around us and think, how can we survive? If we think the shepherd tree's got some good roots, the good shepherd has better ones. If we think the, the so-called tree of life, the nickname for it has good roots, what about the one that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? I am the resurrection and the life. Church, abide in him, remain in him. Whether, whether you haven't yet or you've been serving him your whole life, he says, abide in me and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. Can we pray?